3: Welcome back in. It is our number two of VEASAN Bet Center on a Saturday night in Las Vegas. Having a lot of fun. Memorial Day betting weekend. Always yeah. got to throw in the word betting because we're doing here, Greg, talking about uh, live action and let us know what uh, games you are playing right now or what uh, bets you're thinking about making coming up. Again, Greg Peterson alongside. I'm Ben Wilson, Matt Neverdard, our producer behind the glass. Thanks as well to our entire VEASAN team uh, hanging out with us on a Saturday night from our Circa Sports Studios Pretty exciting time right now in, in Las Vegas, Greg. Things about to completely open up on June 1st. We just saw, and we're going to talk about this later this hour, the Vegas Golden Knights advanced to the second round of the NHL yes playoffs. Sir. Last night, a couple of big NHL playoff games coming up in a little bit. Also, some big NBA playoff action tonight. We're just a couple minutes away from 76ers and Wizards tipping off in Game 3 just to reset you on how the movement has gone. It's, it's been pretty split as far as uh, the actual side handles so far money pretty much all on the over though for the total as this has been bet up as high as 230 and a half across town at south point still holding steady on the side at five or five and a half on philadelphia russell westbrook he will be playing tonight after rolling his ankle in game number two a little bit later as well in our third hour the show will tell you about the jazz grizzlies and some of those line moves that is the nightcap in the nba so on a very busy saturday of uh, of betting greg we also have a full mlb card i know we've so far, I've been looking ahead to some of the big games tonight. Big rivalry between the Dodgers and Giants set to go in about 10 minutes. What other action are you sweating at the moment as far as our games in progress here?
2: Well, we did have the Oakland A's today, and they're uh,
3: losing to the LA
2: Angels by can't a kind or nothing So that is not necessarily <laughs> too superb. Now, it's really interesting what we're seeing in this Miami Marlins versus Boston Red Sox game as the Red Sox are currently leading the Miami Marlins by a kind of 2-0 going into the eighth inning. A combined 16 hits for two runs. So we have not necessarily seen these two teams be able to fire on all cylinders. This was a, in my opinion, relatively solid pitching matchup. Nathan Eovaldi had given up one home run going into the start. He is still giving up only one home run so far this season. Meanwhile, Trevor Rogers wound up taking the hill for the Miami Marlins. This is one in which I did think was going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. Wound up taking the plus money with the Miami Marlins. But right now they just need to... Be able to drive someone in because neither team has been able to do that out there in Fenway. And then we are going to be getting this Dodgers versus San Francisco Giants game getting started relatively soon. And I want to take the plus price with the San Francisco Giants. I like the way that this team has been able to put things together. This is a Dodgers bullpen that is still a little bit banged up. Blake trying has not necessarily looked so good in recent games for the Dodgers and has been used quite heavily. Meanwhile, for the Giants, they wind up having to use quite a few bullpen pieces yesterday because the game wound up going to extra innings but i do think that logan webb despite the fact that he is coming off the injured list is going to be able to give the san francisco giants team the start that they need right around five-ish innings be able to hold down the fort and then from there the giants can win it with their bullpen
3: we mentioned also to kick off the show greg just your overall thoughts on trying to handicap these double header games when you've had some of the bad weather on the east coast kind of crazy that here we are it's memorial day weekend 48 degrees right now at Fenway Park, and it is it is not pleasant. It is cloudy, it is windy, winds of almost 20 miles an hour. Can't help but think, and this was a game that got bet down. The, the total did from, you look at it, eight to seven and a half. I know you know, Nathan Eovaldi has had his ups and downs at times this year, while Trevor Rogers has been, to me, one of the ten best pitchers in the league. I've been so impressed with him. So a 2 nothing game, and to me, like, do, do you think, is this kind of a philosophy of yours looking at these Bad weather games, I know we're going to start seeing fewer and fewer of them as we get the calendar turning toward June. But even now, we saw this flash on the screen a moment ago in our live odds, still, what, 2.5. You're basically saying this is going to end 2 nothing For a situation like this, do you not have, an, and given how the Marlins have already been a terrible hitting team to begin with all year, do you not have enough trust in, in either of these pitching staffs? I mean, doesn't it seem like, all right, the only play I would make is under, and that's, by the way, 2.5, juice to the over. I know you might miss the boat here because the easy play would have been, all right, let's just, let's just fade the weather and the, and, the, and the poor hitting as a result against two good pitchers, but I think you could make a case for, look, the under still being live in this spot. I think that it's one of these situation-by-situation situation approaches as well
2: because we've really been seeing some inclement weather out there in Chicago as well. As we know, the wind probably affects Wrigley Field more than any other ball field out there in the majors. We saw winds blowing in right around 20 ish miles per hour mm-hmm. the
3: last few days, and we're going to get to that on the other side. This is V Bet Center on a Saturday night. Welcome in again with Greg Peterson. I'm Ben Wilson talking about some of the MLB uh, in game action right now, Greg. I know sometimes that gets thrown under the bus because we have NBA, NHL playoffs to talk about. We're going to get to those. Those games uh, later on this hour, but you were making the point on some of your your philosophy on some of these in-game total bets when you look at poor weather, and we bring that up because of the bad weather right now and good pitching matchup in Boston.
2: Yep, and I was mentioning a little bit earlier about how you need to be taking a look at the weather in certain ball fields a little bit differently. The most infamous one for wind is Wrigley Field out there in Chicago because you wind up seeing the wind blowing in the last two days at 20 miles per hour. Now you saw on Friday just a dead under in which the Cincinnati Reds wound a stranding 10 men on base and they scored as many runs as the two of us on this desk. That is not tremendous. And then you wind up seeing it today. Zach Davies, Luis Castillo. Two guys with a north of a 4-5 ERA so far this year and Luis Castillo. Murphy's Law has hit him very, very hard this year. You wind up seeing a 10-2 game today. The total was set Right around six and a half on the open, it winds up closing more in the neighborhood at about seven with juice on the under. And it easily winds up going over. So I think that this is a situation by situation thing because regardless of how good or how bad the weather is, walks are still walks. If you're a guy that you can't throw the ball over the plate, it doesn't matter if the wind's blowing in, if the wind's blowing out, if the wind's blowing sideways, if it's raining, if it's snowing, if it's sunny, you can't throw the ball over the plate. That is going to give teams opportunities. So (laughs) that is the biggest thing that I take a look at. Are these guys issuing a bunch of walks? Are you seeing a bunch of strikeouts as well? Because if you wind up having a pitcher that doesn't allow the ball to be put in play much to start with, it's going to impact the weather a little bit less than if you have a guy that he relies a lot on, say, ground ball
3: rate, say, fly ball rate. That's where I really think weather comes in. Uh, you make the point as well. You've got to understand the the handicap and the actual players and teams that you're talking about it can't just be uh, a blind thing. Uh, one other uh, look at a game that has just gone final. How about the start today for, and this was a sorely needed, positive start for Alex Cobb and the LA Angels. I know you were on the other side of this one, Greg, in a spot where the Angels have really been in a, in a skid as of late, had lost the first two in the series to the Oakland A's and were a underdog today, got a lot of support in the market. We're bet down to as, as short as, uh, at least here in town, dollar twenty five underdog at BetMGM. But, wow, Alex Cobb, who is able to really look fantastic all day, ends up striking out eight, scatters three hits on two walks, and a player who had been extremely underwhelming. But all of a sudden, his last two starts, a combined 12 innings and just one earned run. Is this just a, a little brief spurt here for Cobb, or, or some signs are you seeing out of him of uh, actual improvement here going forward?
2: Outside of his days in Tampa Bay, Alex Cobb has always been very much a hit-or-miss guy. We saw it in his couple years at Baltimore. He would put together a couple really nice starts, and then there would be massive regression. So I don't think that this is here to stay for Alex Cobb and the LA Angels, who... Their bullpen has been terrible. If you take a look at the last three days coming into this game, they were allowing 2.08 home runs per nine innings. No other team in that span allowing more than 1.7. So even if Alex Cobb does wind up giving you some good starts, and we saw with Patrick Sandoval a couple days ago for the LA Angels, actually gave the team a very good start. I believe they went five scoreless innings. Bullpen comes in, and they just completely decimate the game. So that is something that you've always got to be fearing with the Angels. Angels currently without Mike Trout. Probably going to be out for the next six or so Mm -hmm. weeks. So that really does put them behind the eight ball. But you take a look at this Angels team. I'm still going to be targeting a bunch of overs with them coming into the game today. 30 out of their 51 games for the season had gone over. And what you want to be looking at with the Oakland A's is that they're actually pitching significantly worse at home than they are on the road, which I find to be very surprising because typically... Oakland winds up playing a lot of night games. You've got the marine layer that's out, which makes it very pitcher-friendly. Now, during the daytime, it's much more hitter-friendly, but with the Oakland A's going into this game, right around a 445 home ERA, the road ERA hovering more of around a 355-ish. So that is something that I've been taking a look at. I think that's so critical in baseball handicapping in general. Know your home and road splits because we wound up mentioning it in the last hour with the Colorado Rockies. They get swept today in Pittsburgh. A, again, on the road for the Colorado Rockies, 3-22 and 22 at home, 16-12. and 12. Vastly different. Now, Coors Field
3: is going to do that, but still, even with the Coors Field factor, that's still absolutely insane. You make the point. Splits are important. I also think underlying numbers extremely important, especially yep. when handicapping starting pitching. And you look at a guy like Alex Cobb, and not to get too into the weeds here, but just to give you an example on a specific you know, game like this where Los Angeles was an underdog, a struggling team coming in, Cobb now is up to, uh, even going back one more start, 17 innings, allowing one earned run in his last three starts. Entering today, Greg, a guy who had a 403 bat pip, so batting average on balls in play, which usually you're expecting that to be right around 290 to, to 300. Anything. Anything over about 320, you start to say, wow, that's a lot of bad luck for a guy giving up over 400 average on bat, on balls put in play, not obviously counting strikeouts, walks, home runs, that sort of thing. And as a result, his ex-fip expected field independent pitching, which is more of an accurate scale of what a player's or pitcher's ERA really should be, 254 coming in, which by this time of the year, we've seen a good enough sample size, you would agree with this, right? That... Usually, once you start to see those sort of discrepancies more than two runs from the ERA, his ERA coming in was 4.78. That's where you can start to tell yourself, all right, this guy's been getting unlucky. You now you still have to do the pass the eye test. Luis Castillo is another one of these guys who does not pass the eye test because his fastball velocity is way down for the Reds. So you can't just blindly go into it and say, oh, he has a five ERA and a 250 XFIP, Let me bet this team. But in the case of Cobb, if you if you looked at that today, it certainly uh, paid off. So that's just another example, right, of kind of kinda what you're talking about too, looking at those underlying numbers. And you got to be taking a look at strand rate as well. We've seen it with so many of these
2: pitchers that they pretty much do a Houdini in the way that they get out of some of these some of these innings. I take a look at someone like a John Gamper, the St. Louis Cardinals, probably not going to be starting until Monday of Tuesday of this week, but. He's someone that has right now about a buck eighty ERA. His fielding independent, north of four. He leads the league in walks, and yet, somehow, someway, he's got that really, really low ERA, and you've got to figure at some point, if you issue that many walks, there's going to be regression. And let's take a look at the LA Angels themselves. You've got a guy in Shoyotani who has been by far their best pitcher. Coming into the week, he was the only pitcher for the LA Angels that had an ERA South of a 475 and had seen a start. Now Alex Cobb is going to be joining that list. You've had a couple of good starts out of Patrick Sandoval recently, so that's starting to come back a little bit more. But with Otani, he's been by far the luckiest pitcher on the LA Angels because he's issuing nearly six walks per nine innings. You've got to figure that that's going to catch up with you at some point. I don't care how good you are and not allowing a ton of contact if you wind up putting guys on. Eventually they're gonna wind up scoring on you. So I do take a look at those
3: sorts of things as well, along with what you were mentioning with the batting average on balls in play. I think I think John Gantt has probably been, I think, of all those guys when you look at the discrepancies, I think the luckiest pitcher. Yeah. The luckiest pitcher in the big leagues this year. So. I mean, it just feels much. like it feels
2: like every single game he puts eight guys on and he strands eight guys on base.
3: Yeah, but it's like if he faces the Rockies at home, I mean, don't just bet the Rockies because it's John Gantt. He's been lucky. You still have to kind of do your, your full due diligence on that and, and kind of see where it uh, where it lines up. Like, so. I'll admit, I wound up betting John Gantt in his last start against the Chicago White Sox. The
2: Cardinals wind up winning that game. Gantt was horribly lucky in that game, but because the Cardinals were getting nearly $2, it made it a play on John Gantt.
3: And they will, his next start, come comment, Chavez Ravine at the Dodgers. So, oh, boy. Wait. Cody Bellinger back off the I.L. and a healthy Mookie bet. So that might be one of those where back the Dodgers. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to file that one away, Greg, for two days from now. Uh, let's uh, We'll get back to the uh, Major League Baseball slate in a little bit again. Some of the big 7:15 Eastern games, including the Dodgers and Giants, just about to get first pitch uh, underway in, in uh, those games. So we'll keep you posted on what happens there. They have finished their Saturday round, the third round of the Charles Schwab challenges. We update you as well on what's going on at the PGA and see if you want to get any bets in heading into Sunday. The favorite coming in, Jordan Spieth, has put together a fantastic performance. A lot of betters really, Greg, banking on the fact that he would turn things around with the putter, specifically this week on a bent grass green at Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, where he's had success putting in the past. And to that point, he's done just that. He's been second in the field in strokes gained putting this week. After losing about three to four shots on the field in last week's PGA championship, that leaderboard, we saw that through 16 holes. Spieth went on to see Jason Kokrak tie him with a birdie at 17. So the two were knotted at 14 under in the final grouping. It really seems like a two man race at this point, but Spieth drills a birdie putt on 18 to take the lead back. He is into the clubhouse at 15 under par. He and Jason Kokrak each shoot four under today. And they've opened up a pretty nice gap with Speeth, a five shot advantage over Sergio Garcia, Sebastian Munoz, and Poulter, both at eight under part in a T for fourth. So, really going to be a two man race coming in, and we've not seen a whole lot of changes, Greg, from the last time we updated this with regards to the live odds. Speeth minus 225, your tournament favorite coming in at 12 to one, and Jason Kokrak now two to one, down just a shot, and really with nobody else. Even in contention, as a guy who was a 50 to 1 long shot coming in. So that's, uh, given Speed's struggles on the weekends we've seen this year, I don't know, that's kind of tempting with Kokrak. Yeah, I agree with
2: you. And Kokrak has really been able to put it together this year. I mean, he's doing a little bit of everything well. He's just been very smart at being able to stay competitive in all these tournaments. He just doesn't wind up having that blow up stretch of a couple holes, he just avoids the bad shots. He'll take his pars when he needs to, so I think that Kokrak has a good shot to be able to pull this out, and to your point about nobody else really being close, Sergio Garcia has been able to put it together a little bit. He wound up having a nice first round. Second and third round hasn't been great, hasn't been awful. He right now sits at 10 under. You wound up seeing a big round today from Ian Polder. He winds up shooting a 64. That was the best of anyone today, but still, he is way out of contention. You've got someone like a Pat Perez who was able to go off today. He's like 10 shots out of the lead as well, so I do think that the odds are very appropriate at this point. It's Jordan Spieth, it's Jason Kokrak, and then it's everyone else.
3: Yeah, I do find myself tempted to to put a bet in on Kokrak, and it's because he's not been amazing with the putter. He's been solid, gaining about a stroke and a half on the field with his putting, but he's been the best player in the field, tee to green, gaining more than three shots on the field. Part of that, too, is on a tight golf course like Colonial Country Club, you have to be very precise with your approach game, and he's been second in the field, and that as well, nearly two strokes gained on his approach, and while there are some similarities, you know what this course kind of reminds me of, Greg, is Shadow Creek here in Las Vegas, maybe the most exclusive course to uh, to get on uh, here in I Vegas. I haven't golfed there yet. Uh, <laughs> let me know if you do. I'll, if you get a tee time, I'll, I'll, I'll be right there with you. Well, he won at Shadow Creek at the CJ Cup, and there was another big name in Xander Shoffley. He was tied with Xander going into the final round. This was at the end of the 2020 PGA season, and fired an 8-under in the final round to win that event by two shots. So, Kokrak, this is the type of course model, and if you looked at the underlying numbers, the course modeling really does fit his game. 50-1 to 1 was, I know a couple guys who, were, I think a couple of our long shots crew were on Kokrak this week. That's why, if anything, and it's not, it's an anti-Speeth pick, but we've, we've still seen Speeth not really get over the hump, even though it appears to be, he's certainly back from a contending standpoint. But he's, he's really yet to put together a, a lot of four consecutive rounds where he goes low. And I think Kokrak could uh, go low tomorrow. So that would actually be my pick right now, 2-1. to one. Yeah, with
2: Spieth, he was having just a really, really bad time of it quite a few months ago. He's been able to come back. That's been nice. But it just feels like Jason Kokrak, tournament after tournament, is a little bit undervalued. This is a top 20 player in the ro- world. And getting him at 50-1, to 1, This weekend was just a little bit too much. Now, obviously, when you're taking a 50-to-1 shot, you're not necessarily thinking that they're going to be able to win the tournament outright. You're taking a little bit more of a flyer, trying to be able to get some value on it. But with Kokrak, it just feels like he's sort of hanging around in pretty much every one of these tournaments. It's not like he's been able to bust through and he's been able to just go off and have like a massive run or anything like that. But it always feels like when it comes to those final pairings, he's in one of those final groups. And I've been thoroughly impressed by him. He doesn't necessarily do one thing great, but he doesn't have one of those things where he just has a massive weakness either, which I think is just so
3: important because his game has traveled really well and he's been able to compete Mm -hmm. on a wide variety of courses. Right. And, you know, of course he did get the win at the Texas open and was a similar, I would say strength type field. That was the week before the Masters, and he was able to get the win. So it's good, I think, for the game that Spieth is certainly back. Yeah. I just don't know that, I mean, I, I think Kokrak is, certainly earns the respect of no longer being a guy that's consistently priced at 100-1 to 1 in majors. I, to me, Greg, he should be more in that 50-60 to 60 range where you see, that's kind of that ilk where you see like the Cam Smiths and the Louis Eustace and sort of that sort of type of player who is capable of getting hot and challenging for one of these tournaments. Not the first guy you're going to think of off the page, but... I was a little surprised to see him that uh, far down the board, obviously wishing right now I had a ticket on him, of which uh, I do not. But anyway, those are kind of my thoughts on uh, on Sunday as we head into the uh, Charles Schwab Challenge there at the Colonial Country Club. By the way, we are underway now, as we'll talk uh, the rest of this hour, especially on the NHL playoffs, but also keep track of the NBA playoffs on a Saturday night. Game three between Philadelphia and Washington. We are underway. We are seeing Russell Westbrook play, a guy who was banged up, had the... Rolled ankle pretty severely in game two. Had to exit. Philadelphia wanted a blowout. And uh, Greg, right now, we're seeing a lot of him with the ball. High usage rate, as you always see with Russ. We're just underway. 8-6 Philadelphia. Three minutes uh, into the game. And uh, here Westbrook passes up an open shot. Finds a Bradley Beal three, but that misses short. Uh, And any early things you're, you're catching right now? I mean, Russ Westbrook certainly seems to be uh, you know, he's 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 uh, he's terrorizing up and down the court. Like, you, you normally see, I'm just not sure we're going to see it hold up for the full 48 minutes.
2: Yeah, Westbrook is really trying to get himself going right now. He's trying to be able to build a little bit of confidence. And right now, so far, it hasn't necessarily worked out the best. We've seen a lot of empty possessions here in the early going for the Washington Wizards. I think that Westbrook needs to pass the ball up a little bit more. Because he is a little bit banged up, you can tell that he's a tad bit hampered. It's not like it's anything overly extreme where he's like hobbling on one foot or anything like that, but you can tell that he's a little bit hampered by the injury. Russell Westbrook needs to
3: pass the ball. I've never heard anybody say that before. I know, it's a novel concept. <laughs> a novel concept. Twelve six right now. They're at their first media timeout. If you want to hop in and bet this game live with Philadelphia already up six. Washington plus seven and a half on the live line. In a game again that went off. A pretty high total here, 229.5 is where this thing settles at. Some late money on the Wizards, though. They close a 5-point underdog. We'll come back. Get you set for some of the NHL playoff games getting ready to start at the bottom of the hour. That's on the other side here on Beeson Bet Center. Welcome back in. It's a Saturday night edition of Veasan Bet Center as we start to look ahead at some of the big games on the ice tonight. NHL playoffs going on. Back with Greg Peterson. I'm Ben Wilson. And Greg, you're a big fan of, of the hockey. As a, you're from, we're both from the state of Wisconsin, where the yes, ice sir. sports are big. Yeah, You know, and each of us. You know, you, I was a member of the Milwaukee Curling Club in high school. There you go. Curling, not a hockey guy, but curling, similar, kind of, not really, but played out. It's a game played on ice. About all you can say. There you go. And you were, as everybody, if, if you don't know this by now, you should. Greg Peterson, the former Division Three bowler at UW-Oshkosh. Actually, it's all one division. So, at UW-Oshkosh, we would
2: go up against teams like Michigan State, that's the Wisconsin Badgers, and we would get our rear ends
3: kicked. It was a drinking <laughs> team with a bowling problem. Uh, that says anything about curling. Well, we turn our, let, let, we'll actually turn our attention to something real here, and that is... The game coming up at the bottom of the hour, that is Toronto and Montreal. We thought the Canadians were, were all dead and dusted, Greg. They got a Herculean performance out of Carey Price, the veteran goaltender in game one, as a pretty sizable series underdog, having been beaten seven out of the ten games by Toronto in this series. A series highlighted by, and was, I guess low-lighted by, the scary injury to John Tavares, who remains out indefinitely, wondering who would be able to step up and, and fill that void outside of just Austin Matthews for Toronto, but... Leafs had seemed to have figured it out. They won three straight games. Looked like that game one was just a blip for them. But how about the Canadians the other night on Thursday? They rallied, able to win that game in overtime and force a game six here in Montreal. And despite the great efforts by Carey Price and the Canadians to keep this thing a series, get it back to 3-2, the Maple Leafs still here pretty heavily favored. I'm seeing it, Greg, as high as $2, their favorite at the South Point and William Hill in town with take back at about plus 175-year total. juice to the under at 5.5. Any leans for you on this game?
2: I'd be looking at the plus money with the Canadians or pass. Now, I do recognize that throughout the series, Jack Campbell has been relatively solid. Aside from the four goals that he winds up giving up on Thursday, by and large, he's been able to do a great job here for the, for the Maple Leafs. And you take a look at the Maple Leafs, they've been able to play some solid defense just throughout the entire series. But, you can never count out these veteran goaltenders like Price. He's had a tremendous series for the Canadians so far. It's been a little bit of a mash unit for the team. They've been dealing with a couple of injuries, but I would be taking a look at the Canadians or past just because with the Maple Leafs as well. How many times have we seen it where it's like, all right, all the Maple Leafs need to do is win this one or two games, or... It's a Maple Leafs year this year to be able to make a deep run in the NHL playoffs. And <laughs> time and time again, they have not been able to get over the hump. And I almost think that that plays into it a little bit at this point. I would be taking a look at the Maple Leafs or, or I would be taking a look at the Canadians or past at this point just because you are getting that good plus price. And it's just one of those things of which the history of the Maple Leafs just lingers in your mind when you want to be laying the price here.
3: Yeah, I think at the same time we we always I think make fun of not not that we don't like, you know, the Canadians, and I'm talking about, you know, citizens of Canada, not just the Canadians of Montreal, but it's been a common theme where you have a lot of choking Canadian teams in the playoffs. Of course you can't choke if it's Canadian versus Canadian. <laughs> My point here though, Greg, is that while I, I get what you're saying on price, really hasn't had that good of a year. If you look at some of the, the advanced metrics and uh, Andy McNeil, we mentioned him earlier, our V hockey expert. He and his friends at EvolvingHockey.com looking at some of the the goal the expected goals uh, prevented and the expected goals prevented metrics. Carey Price was really a middling goaltender all season. He was really in the bottom third of of the goalies. I think he was ranked 70th overall. Where on the other side, Jack Campbell was a top 12 goalie and a really solid guy all season for a, a Toronto team that was pretty consistent. I, I do think this is a game where Toronto shuts out. Uh, shuts down Montreal and, and closes out this series. If anything, I, you know we see and we, we've always see it in these closeout games where, to me, if you like a team that's favored in a closeout game, I think, I think there is a lot of value to be had in betting these these puck lines be, simply because of the fact that when you're in an elimination game, even especially in a non-game seven where, say, it's 3-2 and you're really desperate to get back into a series, say, if you're Montreal, you're likely to pull the goalie much earlier, and this is not just you know it's not uh, not rocket science here. It's just kind of simple simple strategy. You're down say two one in a in a game, your season's on the line. You're much more likely to pull the goalie with three four minutes left than you would be in the regular season, giving you more opportunities for a possible empty netter. I kind of like the Leafs to win this going away actually after the overtime game. Just kind of a, a hunch having watched the series play out, and Price stood on his head in game one, but it's really looked more like the goalie we've seen all season in, in the four games since. So, Maple Leafs right now, Greg, you can get him as high as plus 145 on the puck line. I'd lay it. We'll go head-to-head, head maybe. Maybe. We'll bet us, we'll a, what, a... One one round of bowling on it, or something. One stone. I was a vice skip. I don't know. I don't know what your depends on the bowling alley because there are some that are different than others. I don't. We don't need to go into the the oiling mechanisms. We're not talking about Oilers here. They've already been eliminated. We'll talk about the other NHL playoff game coming up later on tonight when we return as we roll on NHL playoff talk here on Beeson Bet Center. We have a new feature on vcin.com every day. We're posting the latest betting splits on every game in the major sports with current odds and what percentage of bets and money are being placed on each game. Check this info daily to find out which games are seeing the most tickets written and if that matches the money coming in on those games to help you find a betting edge. And, of course, we have all the odds, data, and analysis for every game as well. Start your next sports bet at vsin.com. Give you a little inside look at that right now on V-Cin Bet Center With Greg Peterson, I'm Ben Wilson. You look at the splits... We receive, uh, from at least from DraftKings, entering this Maple Leafs-Canadians game. We were talking about that in our last segment. 91% of the money on Toronto puck line. So a lot of people are buying the Kool-Aid of Toronto closing this out just to win the game. The money line, which is in that $2 range, 84% of the handle coming in on Toronto. So not a lot of people on your side, Greg, having much belief in Carey Price and the Habs coming in.
2: And I think it's interesting that you point out that the puck line is seeing so much action because there are so many people that they want to try to be able to get a little bit of plus money. They want to be able to reduce the juice. That's why you're going to see so many people wind up riding with that puck line. And it does get to be a little bit of a roll of the dice because if you wind up getting an entire game with a few minutes left to go, that's when it really gets dicey. as we know. Any overtime game and the puck line, if you wind up playing the puck in half, that's where you wind up going wrong. What you're really banking on is that in the last couple minutes of the contest that the Maple Leafs are going to have a lead in. With the Canadians, this is a team that they've been really good at home this year as well. So I just go back to that. And I think that it's just a little bit tough to be riding with the Maple Leafs, especially when you're seeing them right around like minus 180, as high as minus $2 in some shops, especially with the way they. Price. I recognize that he hasn't necessarily had the world's greatest year, but in this series, he's been relatively rock solid.
3: So I would be taking a look at the Canadian. Canadians are passing. This hey, spot. Look, sometimes Greg fading the public. Not not the worst idea. Nah, but I'm, kind of, I'm on the side of what a lot of people are betting. I'll just I'll just say that uh, one side that you and I were both on before we get to our our next uh, NHL game getting ready to drop the puck at the top of our next hour. Philadelphia and Washington. This is all Sixers right now. Bradley Beal does get a nice bucket in transition, but already it is a 30 to 20 lead for the Sixers. 250 to go in the first quarter, and this was a game that went off only five. Wizards money coming in here, Greg, and some money to the over. Sixers now plus, uh, minus ten and a half on the live line already. Total at 232 and a half live, just a, a shade ahead of our 229 and a half closing total. But you look at it, you and I both liked. Philadelphia coming in I did not play it just because like I'm riding out my Sixers and Bucks Eastern Conference futures ticket but you and I both also thought Russell Westbrook might struggle to get to his player prop that's not something we can bet here in Las Vegas but on the East Coast at FanDuel it was 21 and a half, and so far Greg a minus nine for Westbrook two points through his uh, this first uh most of the first quarter so far
2: and he's played only about six minutes so far they've been resting Russell Westbrook a little bit that's to be expected, because he is coming off a little bit of an ailment, so they want to have him fresh for when they need him late in the third, fourth quarter, what have you, but not necessarily too surprised to see the Philadelphia 76ers come out the way that they have, as they've been able to get some really good production out of the big three. Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, I believe that they've got somewhere in the neighborhood about 60% of the team scoring, Thus far in this series, and you've been able to get some good ancillary production out of guys like Curry and Company. So I do take a look at the Philadelphia 76ers. I think that this is just a tough matchup here for the Wizards in general. You have been able to get a little bit in this series out of Rui Hachimura. But as of right now, he's got as many points as the two of us.
3: Uh, yeah, and the two of us have for zero. And yeah. that's because we're here in Las Vegas at our Circus Sports Studio. Not in the nation's capital of Washington, D.C. We'll keep you posted on that game. Let's, though, transition to the other NHL game that is on the card for the Saturday night. And while we were just talking about a game still in the first round, we have seen the majority of the series, in fact, all but that one last game we were talking about in Toronto and Montreal. Everybody else has gone to round two in the race for Lord Stanley's Cup, and we have a fantastic series getting underway tonight. The New York Islanders and the Boston Bruins. How about those, those cardiac Islanders with, Two overtime wins. What a crazy series that was as they take out the Pittsburgh Penguins. You bounce back and and now have to start a series against the Boston Bruins as the road team here, Greg. Boston, for a series price, you're, you're getting a look on your screen at the pregame numbers where Boston, at least on the East Coast with the numbers from DraftKings, about a minus-190 favorite. Those numbers pretty much mirrored here in the, in the betting market in Las Vegas where they're uh, as high as minus-190. Laying the puck line, you can get as good as plus 160 on Boston, where this total 5.5 juiced as low as minus 125 uh, on, the, on the over. Other books have it heavily juiced to the under as well at 5.5, so there's a little bit of, of a discrepancy there in the number. But, Greg, for the Islanders, after such a physical series against Pittsburgh, how do you expect them to look in Game 1 as a pretty significant dog? They're 2-1 as an underdog in the series. Boston minus 240 is the favorite.
2: I think that the Islanders are actually going to be just fine because ever since Barry Trotz took over this team after he wound up winning his Stanley Cup with the Washington Capitals, this is an Islanders team that they've really embraced toughness. And I think that they're going to be able to bounce back after what was just a grueling series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And what I like about both of these teams is that their goaltenders throughout the season were relatively fresh because both the Islanders and the Bruins have a good two-goalie set. With the Bruins, you've obviously got Tuka Rask. He's able to do some nice things, but Yaroslav Halak during the regular season was able to come in. He was able to be a serviceable goalie, and we've seen it with Ilyas Sorkin with the Islanders and what he's been able to do. That has been absolutely huge for being able to help out for Lamov, who has been dealing with some injuries of his own. And with the Islanders, you've got two very good interchangeable goalies, in my opinion. I think that that's just so critical When you are able to get a little bit of rest during the regular season with your goaltenders, typically those teams that you take a look, they get the hot goalie. They wind up getting someone that's able to stand on their head. Typically, it's because they were able to get a little bit of rest during the season. I think that both of these teams were able to get that. Now with the Bruins, you've got a couple more guys that have been there, done that. You've been able to have some very good years from just the guys that, you know, Patrice Bergeron has been able to do it. Brad Marchand has been absolutely tremendous for the Boston Bruins. No offense or buts about it, but I just think that the toughness of the Islanders, while I don't think that they win the series, I think that they're going to be very competitive. I could see this going
3: six or seven. And to your point as well, it's a team that has sort of a reputation now as being kind of an under-team, a grinded-out, low-scoring type team, and they face the Islanders now, the Boston Bruins, who played for those five games against the Washington Capitals, five goals or fewer were scored. A lot not, of overtime in that series, and, too. And there was a lot of overtime that got there. I, I'm not sure that I would want to lay... You you can lay 55 cents, to take five and a half. I don't know that I'd want to do that, but yeah. even though five is a very low total by common today's uh, NHL standards, getting a plus price on an under five goals in a game one that usually we see these to be kind of cagey affairs, and, and we saw Boston and uh, Washington play a tight. It was 2-2 in regulation in the first game of that series. You look at the Islanders in the first game of the now uh, the Pittsburgh series that uh, that they had and that that was a little bit more high scoring, but I just have a feeling that this one will be kind of kind of that tight two-one type feel. That's that's my thought. Maybe three-one. So I'd actually, if anything, I think there could be some value looking at a plus price on uh, the under five. I don't want to play it because I want to see how each of these goalies look. It will be, by the way, Ilya and versus Duke Arras tonight uh, in Game One. We have a couple other series that are also set. They won't start tonight, but they'll start tomorrow. We'll get a breakdown of those series prices as well on the other side as we continue. looking to hire indeed will help you speed up the process they have 135 skills tests to help you find the right candidates faster visit indeed.com slash credit welcome back beason bet center saturday night in vegas every weekend greg just seems to get more fun more crazy more lively in here as we are set to las vegas will be fully opening up on june 1st which is exciting and it's also exciting when you you have a lot of good sports betting action to Include with that, right? NHL absolutely. playoffs, absolutely. Round two getting started tomorrow. Pretty crazy here. Last night for the Golden Knights, wild game seven. It was a wild game seven as Golden <laughs> Knights uh, win it six to two, and they'll now take on the Colorado Avalanche. As we look ahead and preview the two series that begin tomorrow, if you're looking to get a series bet in, or you could also bet game one here. But I wanted to take a moment, Greg, and just look at these these prices from a series standpoint, kind of see what where we think now. Certainly, the rest advantage is a a big, hugely favors Colorado in a series where the Vegas Golden Knights blow a 3-1 lead, have to come back home, try for the second time to close out a series, something that, interestingly, in their short but very successful history, they had never done, close out a series at home. They do that last night against Minnesota, but really no time off. It is a quick turnaround they have today off, but Game 1 is tomorrow, 5 p.m. on the West Coast in Denver, 8 o'clock on the East Coast. We'll be previewing this game one, I think, a little bit more in-depth, specifically tomorrow when when you and I are back on the desk with Josh Towers. But from a series standpoint, this number has been set at Avalanche. I'm seeing minus 185 for the series. Golden Knights at plus 165. How do you evaluate the series as a whole that gets set tomorrow? What I think is
2: interesting, too, is that you take a look at Marc-Andre Fleury in that series against the Wild. He just wasn't necessarily himself. It was very much a bruising series aside from really Game 7, which you mentioned 6-2. to It just went way over the total, but you take a look at this Colorado Avalanche team, what I think is going to be huge for them. Phil Grubauer and how tremendous he has been all season long, allowing less than two goals per game. He looked absolutely magnificent in that series against the St. Louis Blues. He just night in and night out was able to bring it in with this Colorado Avalanche team. I do believe that they're the best team in hockey at this point, so I do think that the Golden Knights are going to be up against it. Golden Knights are obviously having to travel to Colorado. They do not have the home ice advantage in this one, and I do think that the Avalanche should be able to get it done in this series. They've been 22-4-2 and two at home so far this year. That really stands out to me. I felt like if a team was able to get home ice advantage throughout the postseason and the Avalanche have been able to do so, that it would be very important, and I do think that with Colorado, they are showing their colors as the best team in hockey right now, and that's where I would have to look with regards to the series, even though you'd be laying a price on it,
3: it It's fascinating to me that for, for how much the betting usually skews towards Vegas, just because you know here, here we are in Las Vegas, yep. Golden Knights have been a not only a popular but a successful team, so betters have been rewarded by their their success in the past. I, I and I do agree. I think this is is probably fairly priced, but I'm a little bit surprised that it actually is fairly priced because I'm I'm assuming, and you would think there would be a lot more action coming in at least if you're watching us in a Nevada betting jurisdiction on the West Coast, and even though even on the East Coast the splits are not that much different, it's about the same. Even if you look on the East Coast, it's not like there's a quote unquote Vegas discount just because you're here in Nevada and it's, there's a lot of hometown backing. What's interesting to me is, and I don't disagree with you that the Colorado, I think top to bottom. You could make. I certainly could make the case for being the best team. But as far as this specific matchup goes, these teams split the eight regular season meetings. Keep in mind that the last time they played, and these were the two best teams in hockey from a point standpoint all year, the President's Trophy was on the line for the best overall team in the regular season. And the Golden Knights had a combination of injuries and cap issues, only were able to skate 15 guys. And it was a game that had... Pretty obvious playoff implications, not only that, but the playoff atmosphere for a regular season game was as good as you'll see. And that was a really tight 2-1 game where, again, Vegas had, did not have even close to a full roster. I think that was a sort of game flow, and Mark andre Fleur was fantastic in that game, as was Philip Grubauer. And I, I think a game that will kind of speak to how this whole series will play out. I, I find myself, Greg, even, I do think... I'm tempted to take a shot with Vegas just because it's so rare that in a playoff series that to me is... About a, a coin flip, I certainly think Colorado, you give the slight edge, but I'd probably only make Colorado maybe in the 130 to 140 range just personally. I don't have any sort of uh, futures action on on the West uh, Western Conference or anything in the NHL, but that's kind of where I'm leaning here just because it, it's rare you get that kind of value with Vegas being here in Nevada. On the other side, I think the actual, the smarter play throughout, on a game-by-game basis the series is going to be on the unders because we yeah. know that the Golden Knights have, and outside of you just mentioned at the Game 7 against Minnesota. Scoring goals consistently has not come easily for them in their playoff history. And at the same time, you have a goalie Marc-Andre Fleury, who has been, by the advanced numbers, the best goalie in the NHL with regards to saving those expected potential goals allowed this year. So I, I, thought, I kind of think that combo is going to set something up. When we see these first two games in that 2-1 mold, and you start seeing totals at five with some pretty heavy juice to the under, that's just my thought.
2: Yep, and I do think that after Marc-Andre Fleury did wind up having a couple struggles in that series against the Wild, that he's going to be able to pick it up in this series, no question. I am right there with you on the unders, but I know that you wind up mentioning the splits and not getting as much of a discount on Vegas. How much do you attribute to the fact that now Vegas has had their hockey team for a couple years? It's sort of like with the new car. The new car smells off, sort of, and... People out here in Las Vegas are a little bit more used to having a professional sports team, and now you've also got the Las Vegas Raiders as well, because before it was the Golden Knights being the only show in town, now you wind up having the Raiders as well. I think that uh, that all plays a part of it as well, and now we're seeing Vegas be much more like say, the Colorado Avalanche out there in the state of Colorado when it comes to a betting perspective. You take a look at some of these newer jurisdictions, no question, you're obviously going to have the Mets and the Yankees get a little bit bet more out there in the northeast part of the country, but it's not anything too demonstrative. I think that things are now much more in line with the Golden Knights because it has been a couple years.
3: Yeah, and I think it's it's not necessarily that Greg, but I, I think what you're onto is more the sense that I, I think a lot of people here are more are smarter as regards to handicapping other NHL teams now that they've had a few years to see these rivalries develop and watch the series with the Sharks and watch series with, with teams like Winnipeg that they had in their first uh, big playoff run. So I, to me, I know I get what you're, where you're coming from. I think it's actually more the fact that they've watched this Colorado team all year. Mm-hmm. And I, I know Golden Knights fans, are, are ter- they were terrified of the Minnesota matchup, and I was surprised that that price was not higher, but it was simply because while they were clearly better Overall, than Minnesota, that was a really bad matchup for Vegas. And, you know, they they got they got past it. That's my that that's where I think it comes into play here. It's not so much that now oh, they're just tired of betting the nights. It's more they know what teams like Minnesota and Colorado are, are capable of, and they don't want to necessarily want to jump out in front of that train. I think it's a combination
2: of different things as well. And as sports betting gets legalized state by state by state as well. There are more fans out there that they've sort of been able to travel to. Like, I'm from the state of Wisconsin. You're mm-hmm. able to travel to Illinois. You're able to place a bet. So let's say that Wisconsin magically gets sports betting, as we know, being gentlemen from the state of Wisconsin. They are far ways away from that. They're going to be one of the last states in line for it. But let's say wine's becoming legal. Someday. They're... they're a little bit more used to it already because they're able to go to Iowa. You're able to go to Illinois. You're able to place a bet. Minnesota's right now in the works of being able to do this as well. That'll give you another outlet. If you wind up traveling to Minnesota quite a bit as a person from the state of Wisconsin, you're already used to the process. And I think that that's so big with
3: this as well. Uh, No, I I think there, there's definitely an element uh, to that. and, And we'll, I think we'll also see with a lot of these states that have had recent legislation passed I think that's more where you're gonna see that the bigger impact of the the whole as you're saying, the whole quote unquote, you know, fresh car smell wearing off, where states that never had it before, we've had it in Nevada forever, basically. Yeah. States that never had it before, I think Tennessee was a great example of DraftKings jurisdiction where they just got crazy Titans money all year in the NFL season. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 skew was just ridiculous. I think that's one of those things that after a few years will kind of settle down as I think it's more of a I think it more plays to some of those new jurisdictions like you are talking about, as opposed necessarily to here. Uh, but but interesting nevertheless to follow, and we we got news today that another state will be uh, will be added to that. Uh, I know, and not not our state, Greg, uh, Wisconsin, but uh, Nebraska in the Midwest. That is going to be following. It looks like it looks close to following that uh, that path. So that is at least a good news, positive news on the sports betting legalization front. I don't know you've. You've, uh, you, you're very familiar with that setup in, in Iowa, Illinois. From, I know you traveled there for the Super Bowl, and, and were a correspondent for us there. So you know what that battle is like, getting, uh, oh, getting everything set up out there. Yeah, As long as you're able to bet the futures out there in Nebraska. <laughs> Nebraska
2: college football futures. Nebraska college probably, football. 10 to 1. Native, <laughs> if you're a native of the state of Nebraska, you probably want to travel elsewhere to bet that. Just an helpful piece
3: of advice, there. <laughs> just, a, it's just, a, it's like uh, what at the, at the South Point when Brendan Gaughan was racing in the Daytona 500, he was like twelve to one, <laughs> one hundred fifty to one everywhere else. But yeah. uh, you gotta, gotta gotta have that respect. I love it. Uh, by the way, we kind of rode off Washington in this game. Greg got off to a terrible start against Philadelphia. Just getting a quick update as we uh, wrap up this hour talking some NBA playoffs. But look, the Wizards have stabilized a little bit here. A team that. Again, down 2-0 in the series. We're a five-point underdog and got a lot of money coming in. Well, they're down eight. So they were down as high as I think fourteen in the first quarter, but an eight-point game now, 4638 at the 753 mark of the second quarter. Live line still holding pretty steady. I'm seeing about nine or nine and a half on the Sixers. This game is pacing, though, to the over, and that's where a good amount of money came in on as this closed two twenty-nine and a half. Live total two thirty-four and a half or two thirty-five right now. And now looking at it, Greg, Russell Westbrook, he has started to find his, his mojo a little bit coming off that uh, turned ankle. Ten points now for Russ. So I may be glad that we are in a jurisdiction where we're not able to bet these <laughs> player props because my under twenty one and a half and a half suggestion would uh, not be looking good right now.
2: And right now, the 76ers bench is just getting outplayed. The entire bench has at a little bit of a rough go, but meanwhile, the plus minus of the 76ers starters has certainly been there. And both teams a little bit cold from the outside. Wizards have started 2 of 12 from three-point range. Meanwhile, the 76ers, they're off to a 4 of 12 start. And if you're able to get guys like Harrison Cuppy going for the 76ers, I think might be curtains for the Wizards and then going down
3: 3-0. Obviously a tough situation there. Yes. Uh, something that has not been overcome at all before in an NBA playoff series. It uh, looks like we are destined for a crash course. Philadelphia versus either New York or Atlanta. And it looks like we'll also get Milwaukee versus Brooklyn. But, you know, they never. Um, why we talk about all these games. Yeah. sports betting We'll continue to talk more NBA, NHL playoffs, MLB, some PGA as well. And our number three on the other side right here on Beeson Bet Center. Mo'Play. play
0: 18 plus.